Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe me. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Uh, On election day, Maxine and I voted just across the road here, Abbotsford uh, School. And if you were there that day, you'll know that there were lots of people outside the front of the school handing out how to vote cards. But there was one word which dominated, and that was the word change. It's interesting that after we voted, we came back, we'd parked in the churchyard and noticed that there's a sign outside the church said, change as well. This is where you can hear about change and, of course, it was a note about today's service. Change. Where can change come from? That's an elusive search, the search for change. We can talk about political change, but how can you change a person from within? Can a leopard change its spots? Where does change come from? How do you account for the fact of a person who is miserly becoming generous or proud becoming humble or reckless becoming faithful? Or how do you account for a stubborn person becoming teachable? On one occasion, Charles Darwin, the father of the evolutionary theory, was asked this question. If on one of your exploits you were shipwrecked and washed ashore on a foreign shore, what would you do? And here's the uh, founder of the evolutionary theory, uh, the survival of the fittest. This is what Darwin said. I would pray that the message of the missionary had reached this far. In other words, that the people who were going to meet me on the shore were actually changed people, that they had been changed by the Christian gospel. 
Now we have three daughters, two sons. One of our sons, our eldest son, uh, was a teacher, PE teacher at Trinity Grammar School. Trinity Grammar, if you know anything about the schools around here, always wins the basketball competition. And the reason for that is that they have an exceptional basketball coach. His name is Ben Morrissey. But uh, that's a summer sport, and so they've got to keep Morrissey occupied in winter. And so they give him a rugby side, and he doesn't know a great deal about rugby, so they give him a lower-grade rugby side. Recently, he said to the boys in his rugby team, boys, uh, rugby can be summed up by one word beginning with the letter F. What's that word? The boys looked at one another and they, one of them said, well, field position, sir. No, it's not field position, Morrissey said rather impatiently. Come on, boys, and there was no more response. And so Morrissey said, rugby boys can be summed up by the word phases. Phases, that's what it's about. And, of course, one little boy put his hand up and the assistant teacher said, forget it, mate, don't worry about it. <laughs> now, phases. Conversations are about phases. She said, he said, phase one. He said, she said, phase two. She said, he said, phase three. And what has just been read for us, if you've got it open there before you on the service sheet, is actually a conversation. And it's a conversation in three phases. It's all about change. And we are able, by reading this conversation, to eavesdrop into a conversation of eternal significance in three phases. But before we do that, the author, John, who's already introduced us to Jesus, and we know that Jesus is God in the flesh. He's already told us that. But now Jesus has this conversation with a man. Look at verse 1. His name is Nicodemus. We are told that he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, Nicodemus is not just a mere man. If you look for an equivalent of Nicodemus today, you'd have to say a, a senator, a university lecturer, um, and a judge. Put all those three things together, and you've got Nicodemus. So he's a high-achieving man of great recognition and great integrity, and so he comes to Jesus at night. Now let's look at the first phase of the conversation. It's there in verses 2 and 3. He comes at night because he's got a reputation to protect. And he comes very diplomatically, and notice what he says, we know, we don't know who the we is, but we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. Because no one can do the things that you have been doing. We know that Jesus has already turned water into wine. So Jesus has performed signs. We know that you're a teacher who has come from God. Notice Nicodemus is respectful. He is polite. He's careful. We know. But notice that in response to that, Jesus says in verse 3, his response is quite blunt. So he says to Nicodemus, verse 3, unless you're born again, without the new birth, you will not see the kingdom of God. <laughs> so Jesus doesn't encourage him. Jesus doesn't say, look, you're doing well, try harder or go a bit further. Jesus says that unless you have a complete change within, unless you go through an internal revolution, you will never see the kingdom of God. That is, you will never see God. Now, born again can equally mean being born from above. It is something which must happen to you. You must have it. But here's the frustrating bit. 
You must have it, but it is not something which you can do to yourself. You cannot born yourself. Think back on your physical birth. How much did you have to do with your physical birth? Nothing. You were born. It happened to you. And so it is with the spiritual birth. You must be, it's passive voice, you must be born again. Otherwise you will not see God. If change is to come, therefore, it doesn't come from some philosophy. It comes from God himself. Now notice the second phase, and it starts there in verse 4. Jesus, of course, is speaking figuratively, but Nicodemus takes him literally. And Nicodemus says, look at verse 4, Do you mean to say that I should have to climb back into my mother's womb in order to be born all over again? And Jesus simply repeats what he's already said. Look at verse 5. It's quite blunt, isn't it? You shall not enter, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit, unless he has this new birth experience. And notice that you are not in control. You are not in control of spirit of your physical birth and you will not be in control of your spiritual birth. Just as you need a physical birth, all of us have had that, to live on this planet, so you need a spiritual birth to live in relationship with God, to live spiritually. And it is something which God gives. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, you look at the wind. The wind is uncontrollable from our point of view. I can't tell you which way the wind's going to blow this week. But Jesus says that the spirit who gives the new birth is as sovereign as the wind. This change, this new birth, you must have it, but you cannot give it to yourself. Now immediately, see, this puts the lie, doesn't it, to that saying, well, sometimes you hear people say, oh, well, yes, he's a Christian, but he's one of those born-again types. As if there's another type. As if being born again is a version of Christianity and there are a number of versions. But to be born again is to be Christian. To be Christian is to be born again. If you are not born again, then according to Jesus, you'll never enter into the presence of God and you'll never see God. So you're not a Christian without the new birth. And to talk about a born-again Christian is a bit like saying he's a bespectacled man who wears glasses or there's a mother who has children or there's an employed person who has a job. You're simply saying the same thing twice. And therefore Jesus says it is absolutely essential that you understand that you need this complete revolution within. You cannot give it to yourself. It comes from God. He must give it to you. So it's not a matter of climbing back into your mother's womb to be born again. Phase three. Verse nine. Well, Nicodemus says, how can this be? But notice what Jesus says. He says, you're the teacher. You're a theologian. Your textbook is the Old Testament. You should know. Because the Old Testament is always talking about this. But have a look down to verse 13. Jesus says, you need to listen to me because I am uniquely qualified. I've come down from heaven and this is my specialty. My specialty is to tell you where real change comes from. My specialty is to tell you what God says. My specialty is to tell you how to enter into the presence of God and how to see God. You must have it. But you cannot give it to yourself 
And all of the Old Testament says exactly the same thing. Now, on one occasion, we were invited to a parliamentary reception in Canberra for Prince William and his wife, Catherine. We were told what time we should be there. We received our invitation card. It said quite clearly what we were to wear. Uh, We were given instructions if we were presented to the royal couple how we should address them. And so we complied at every point with the terms of the invitation because they had offered the invitation and so we, therefore, if we're going to accept the invitation, will accept the invitation on those terms. For example, if you're going to meet the Queen, it's not your decision to meet the Queen. It's the Queen's decision that she will meet you and the terms on which she will meet you. Now, just look at this again. And remember, we're not talking about any member of an earthly royal family. We are talking about God himself. And God has every right to say who will see him and who will enter into his presence. And notice Jesus doesn't say to Nicodemus, if you're good enough, you can come to him. Or if you're moral enough, you can come to him. You must be born again. And it's not an award. It's not something you earn. It is something given to you. So the big question, dear friends, is this. How can you know whether you've been born again or whether you're just being good and trying your hardest? Well, look at verse 16, because there is the key. Verse 16 really is the great key verse of the Bible. One writer says it's the Bible in miniature. If you open up a Gideon's Bible, you'll know that in the front cover, verse 16 is translated into 22 different languages. It is such a focal verse of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When you read that, are you shocked? It is probably the most shocking verse in the Bible. Why does it shock? Three reasons. Look, first of all, verse 16. God loved the world. (laughs) What's shocking about that? The world hated him. God loves the world which rebelled against him. God loved the world which said it wanted nothing to do with him. Even though God made the world, the world shook its fist at God and said, we don't want you. And yet God responds in love. You say, well, uh, words are cheap. But look secondly at what the verse says. God not only loved the world in word, but in deed. He loved you and me, the world, so much that he gave his one and only son to the world. As I said, we've got five children. Put any of those children in a life-threatening situation and anyone here in a life-threatening situation, and I can only save one, well, you're on your own, aren't you? I'll always save my child. And yet God, this verse tells us, turns his face away from the son he loves for all eternity so that he can express love to you and me who are the rebels against him. But here's the third shock. Look towards the end of that verse. The difference between perishing forever and living forever, eternal life, is to be in relationship with Jesus. The difference between eternally perishing and eternal life is believing in Jesus. It is trusting in Jesus. It is relying on Jesus. 
And you say, well, what must I believe? Go back just a couple of verses. Look at verses 14 and 15. And Jesus talks about this incident at a place called Mount Hor, where the people of God were whinging and complaining against him then, uh, whinging and complaining against God. And so God sent snakes and vipers amongst them. Many of the people were bitten, some of them died, and some of them got grossly ill. And so they came to Moses, their leader, and said, please pray to God for us to take the snakes away. And God said to Moses, I want you to take bronze and fashion a bronze pole in the shape of a snake and put that bronze pole in the middle of the camp and tell the people that if they look to the bronze pole of the snake, they will be healed. Now, I don't know about you. But if I was dying of snake bite, the very last thing I'd want to do is to look at a snake on a pole. And yet by looking at the snake on the pole, I'm actually agreeing with God's judgment on me. By looking at the snake on the pole, I'm saying, God, you're giving me what I deserve for my whinging and my complaining. Look to the snake and be healed. And what does Jesus say? Look to the son who is on the cross and you will be forgiven. Because when you look to the son who is on the cross, you're recognising that what he is going through is what you deserved. What he is going through, he's going through as your substitute. He's taking the penalty due to your sin. Now you see, that's what the cross means. Look to the snake, be healed. Look to the son on the cross and be forgiven. Now you know what it's like around here. You're driving around early in the morning and the school zones are on. Don't go over 40 kilometres an hour because if you do, you'll be fined and you'll receive demerits for doing the wrong thing. You know, rugby league is being played this afternoon. If you do the wrong thing, if you uh, are guilty of a professional foul, you go into what? You go into the sin bin. You get penalised for sin. And God is exactly the same. He is just. He cannot tolerate sin. The sin of me not doing what I know to be right or doing what I know to be wrong, that's sin. Simply ignoring God, that's sin. And because God is just, sin must be paid for. There is an accounting for sin. And Jesus comes into the world and he never does anything wrong. He is perfectly sin-free. And when he goes onto the cross, he bears the sin, my sin, and he pays the penalty of death due to my sin. And so just as the snake was a sign of God's right judgment, the cross is a sign of God's right judgment on my sin. He's there as my substitute. That cross is my cross. That is what I deserved. Look to the cross and you will be forgiven. Your debt has been paid at the cross. Will you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus? Now you say, well, okay, what's that got to do with new birth? It's got everything to do with new birth. How can I know I have been born again? I'll tell you how you can know you've been born again. Look at verse 16 of John chapter 3. If you come to verse 16 of John chapter 3 and say, well, I don't think much of that. It doesn't do anything for me. Or, I'm totally against that. Well, you see, you haven't been born again. But if you come to verse 16 of John chapter 3 and say, it was for me. Yes, that was for me. 
as a man challenged me early on in my Christian life and asked me, had I placed my name there? I'd never heard of that. But let me read it with my name there. Look at verse 16. For God so loved David that he gave his one and only son so that when David believes in him, David should not perish but have everlasting life. I've been born again. If you can put your name there, your eyes have been opened, your ears unstopped, and you say, it was for me. And of course, tonight when you get home, if you take one of those John Gospels, just flip over to John chapter 4, and in John chapter 4, we meet a woman. And she is a woman who's been married five times and is now living with number six, who is her de facto. And this woman is offered the same opportunity as, as, as Nicodemus. Now you see, Nicodemus is not automatically qualified for the kingdom of God. He must be born again. And this immoral woman is not automatically disqualified for the kingdom of God. She also must be born again. Nicodemus and this woman will not see or enter God's presence without the new birth. God is for you if you are an up and outer or a down and outer and a middle and outer, but it's all gift, not award. It is by grace, and none of us have got any right to sense any superiority. Nicodemus tried to earn God's favour through religion. This woman in chapter 4 tried to deal with the emptiness of in her life through romance. But what they both needed was a fresh start. Here, dear friends, are three phases. We know that you're a teacher come from God. You've got to be born again. How? By climbing back into my mother's womb? No, this comes from above and it's God's doing. How can this be? Jesus' death on the cross is the key. Once you recognise that, you can be sure that you have been born again when you see that it was for you. And you may come to this section and say, well, all this is myth, isn't it? No, it's not. Read myth and then read the New Testament and you know you're reading two very different things. You say, well, how can you trust John's Gospel? There is more manuscript evidence to back up the integrity and truthfulness of John's Gospel than any other ancient document. And so you come. And this is telling me that Jesus offers me a fresh start. And I am to believe and trust and rely in him. Turn from my sin, recognise that his work on the cross was for me. I'm on a plane, I'm flying to Perth. The lady sitting next to me is named Chrissy. We introduce each, uh, to ourselves to one another. She tells me very early on in the conversation that she has recently lost 13 kilograms by going off sugar. She sees her role now is for the rest of the flight to keep reminding me that everything which the flight attendant is offering us has got sugar in it and I shouldn't have it. By the end, about half an hour from Perth, I say in a rather frustrated way, Chrissy, I want you to know, she knew I was a Christian, Chrissy, I want you to know that you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. And that body is temporary. And whether it's overweight, underweight, or just right on the right weight, one day it's going to drop off. And your soul is going to be left. And what is the state of this inner eternal part of you? Are you in right relationship with God? Do you know that when the body drops, 
you will see the kingdom and you will enter in to the kingdom. How can you do this? Talk to God. Daryl's going to lead us in a prayer soon. But it's a very simple prayer. If you take out what is in that envelope, you will see that the prayer simply sets out three things which I think are wonderful to say to God. And they simply say to God, I'm sorry, thank you, and please. Sorry, thank you, please. Sorry that I have ignored you and I've tried to live life my own way. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to take my place on the cross. Please forgive me and change me. See, friends, it is profoundly simple without being in any way simplistic. Sorry, thank you, please. What would you do if you're shipwrecked on a foreign shore? I would pray that the message of the missionary had reached this far. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you, David. Well, right now, as David said, I'd like to pray this prayer that's on the response card. I'm going to do it phrase by phrase. And if this is a prayer that you would like to pray, if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, I invite you to pray this prayer with me now and echo it in your head as I pray it. Let us pray. Dear God, I admit that I've tried to ignore you and resisted your right to be in charge. I no longer want to live that way. Thank you for sending your son to die for me so that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my Saviour and Lord. Amen.